Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're excited to be coming to you through this platform today. We hope that your heart is encouraged, that your faith is stirred by what God speaks to you today. God bless you. Enjoy the message. We are gonna continue our series on Commit the Way this morning, and I'm excited for what I believe God has for us. I think it's gonna stir us. I think it's gonna press us deeper into his presence. I think it's gonna draw us up a little bit. And I wanna look at some things around the story of Esther. So if you'll jump with me to Esther 3, 12, we're gonna start there, and we're just gonna jump into it. It says, Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman had commanded was written in the king's satraps, and the governors over all of the provinces and the officials and of all the peoples in every province and its own town, and the script went out to every people in its own language. Everybody got a copy. It was written in the name of King Assyrius, or Xerxes, depending on your translation, and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all of the Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods." A copy of the document was issued and decreed in every province by proclamation to all the peoples and ready for the day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in the Sissa, in Sissa at the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink before the city of, but the city of Sissa was thrown into confusion. And when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes and he went out into the midst of the city and he cried out at the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and he decreed reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and in ashes." So we find ourselves in the midst of Esther's story. So Esther, if you're not familiar with her, became the queen of the land, but she wasn't the original queen. King Xerxes had another queen before her, but he came, became displeased with her, so he dismissed her as being queen. And they ran, ran this 12-month pageant, essentially, to determine the newest queen. And God favored Esther And she was brought into the position of queen. Now, the interesting thing about Esther's story is that Esther was being raised as a Jew in Babylon by her uncle. And so when she went in, she told them, or she didn't tell them rather, that she was one of the Jews. She just walked in and let them assume that she was Babylonian, which tells me that there wasn't really that much different about the way that they looked. There wasn't really much different about the way that they acted because she had been raised in in that community, but there was great distrust, there was great hatred between the two people groups, so she and her uncle determined that it would be better for her to keep silent, because how many of us know that there are labels that we put on things that God never put on those things, and there are divisions that we put on things that God never put on those things, and so even though Esther looked like all of the other women, and even though Esther could talk like all of the other women, and even though Esther knew all of the same things, and all of the same customs that all of the other women knew. In fact, she was a Jew, and that put her a little bit at danger because her people were considered less than in the city of Babylon. 
So there Esther is in the king's court. She's queen and she's been queen. And we have this issue, which is that her uncle Mordecai and this guy Haman, who's kind of the king's right-hand man, have a battle going on. They don't really like each other. They become arch enemies. And Haman gets an idea that he's going to take out Mordecai. But he's not just going to take out Mordecai. That's not good enough for his bitterness. And that's not good enough for the root that he's let grow in his life. He's going to take out Mordecai and all of his people. So Haman has a position of influence. But with his position of influence, instead of using it for good, he uses it to take out an entire people group. And, the, and what we just read is it says, when the edict went out, confusion was in the city. When people of wickedness and evil use their influence, it creates confusion and turmoil. Haman had a right-hand seat at at the seat of the king. He had the king's ear and the ability to say what was going to be happening in their city. And instead of using it to create peace in the city, instead of using it to create prosperity in their city, instead of using it to create wealth and healing and help others, he did something that was for his own benefit, that was for his own good. He took all of his attention and turned it inward on himself and said, I am having an issue because I am having an issue because I don't like something that's going to go on. I'm going to do something selfish. I'm going to do something that focuses the attention on me, that makes me feel better about what's going on. And I don't really care. Haman didn't have a heart for the city that he was called to serve at. He had a heart for himself. Haman didn't have a heart for the people that he was called to serve at. He had a heart for himself. And when he acted on his own behalf, it created confusion and turmoil in the city. Some translations say chaos. The city was turned into an uproar. No one knew what to do because this edict that he went out out with didn't just say that the people were going to be destroyed this weekend. It said 11 months from now. They put out an edict that said, live the rest of your year, but 11 months from now, we're coming to kill all of you, we're coming to destroy all of you, and we're coming to take everything that you have built up and that you have had wealth in. And maybe at the beginning of your year, you feel like there are things that have been spoken over your year already, or that have been spoken over your family already, and you didn't enter the year with the hope and the optimism that some of us did. You didn't enter the year with with new goals and fresh ideas. You entered the year thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this year. I don't know if I'm going to make it to the end of this year. It feels like a word has been spoken over your year that the next 11 months are really just a holding pattern until whether or not you make it. But the the word of the Lord over your life is that the next 11 months are for prosperity, are for growth, that we are going after a double vision in this year, that there is more for you. Don't lean into the words of Haman that create confusion over your life that create a lack of understanding in your life. The influence of Haman created an uproar in the midst of their city. And we have to ask ourselves, what positions has God given us influence in that we have taken a selfish eye on? What positions has God given us influence that I've said, you know what, this is how this situation is going to benefit me. I'm looking at myself. Or do we have a heart for the people that God has sent us to? 
Judges 5 and 6 is a portion of a song after Barak and Deborah have won a battle and it reflects on previous days and it says, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anoth, in the days of Yael, the highways were abandoned and the travelers took to winding paths. The highways were abandoned and the Travelers took to winding paths. The highways are the proven places. The highways are the well-worn paths. The highways are the places that are a direct route from point A to point B. And they're meant to be the safest, the fastest, the most assured route of getting from where you are to where God has called you to be. But in these days, it says the highways were abandoned by the travelers. But before the highways were abandoned by the travelers, the highways were abandoned by the governors of those highways. Because the way that it worked is that every province was responsible for the highways in their region. And so the people who had influence over those regions had abandoned it. Instead of caring for the highways and making sure that they were clear, making sure that they were maintained, making sure that they were able to be moved through, they had abandoned them. And when they abandoned their guard, someone else moved into that space because every space that we leave empty that God has called us to creates a gap for the enemy to move into that space instead. And when they abandoned their space, thieves and robbers moved into the space space instead. So the highways that were meant to be paved, that were meant to be sure, that were meant to be well-traveled points from A to B were abandoned by the guards who were supposed to be guarding them and thieves and robbers came in instead. And so instead of traveling the well-worn path, the travelers went to winding roads. They went to hidden places They went to seeking after their own routes because they said, we can't go on the straight path anymore. We can't go on the proven path anymore because it's no longer safe for us there. We are meant to be guarding the proven paths, the ancient paths of our faith that say, this is the way to the Lord. God has called us to stand guard, to point the way, to keep it safe. Why is it that so many people don't feel safe coming into this place that is the proven path? Because some people have let off of our guard and we've let others come into the space that God has called us to. And now, instead of hearing the voice of grace, instead of hearing the voice of welcoming, instead of hearing the voice that says, this is the way to the Lord, see him, run after him, they hear a voice of shame. They hear a voice of judgment. They hear a voice of discouragement instead. And how many know that we live in a time when people are running after winding paths? They are searching for connection, searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for spirituality. But the well-worn paths have become overgrown. The well-worn paths have been abandoned. The well-worn paths don't have people standing their guard. The highways look like they are cluttered. And so the travelers have taken to finding their own winding paths. And this is the thing about a winding path. It might perhaps get you where you need to be. But it's for sure going to take you a lot longer. The proven path is a direct route from where I am 
to who God has called me to be. The winding path takes me all around. If I go this way, then I might make it to him. And then I'll have to go over this way and see if that leads me to him. And I'm going to duck over here so the robbers don't see me. And hopefully someday I make it to the plan and the purpose that God always had for me. But the other thing about the winding path is that it's not a sure thing. The sure thing is the wide open door to Jesus Christ. That he is the one way to the Father. And that highway better be left wide open for all who are searching. But instead we have people looking on every single path and every single road because we haven't left the highway open. And so they're wandering and it's taking too long for people to find their way home. And too many are getting lost on the way because the committed path, the open path has been blocked. And so on the way now, they get distracted over here or they get lost over there because what we thought should have been a right turn turned out to it should have been a left turn and they turn into a different direction. But there are well-proven paths, highways of faith that build our faith, that lead us into his presence. And I believe that there are people of God who are ready to stand in their place and say, this is the way to his presence. And it's safe. And we're going to guard the sides for you. And no one's going to get you here. And we know you're traveling with someone else. And we know you've got goods in your cart. And we know that you've had a little bit of trouble along the way. But walk this way down the proven path. And we'll guard it for you. And we'll keep it clear for you. And we'll point the way for you. And we'll cheer on for you. And we'll let you know this is the right path. Just you got to keep going just a little bit further. Come on. Let's walk down the well-worn, proven in paths of our faith down paths like prayer and fasting it's not lean out of it because we say that's something that they used to do or it's a thing that 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 kind of has grown antiquated no these are the well-worn paths of our faith the highways that take us directly into his presence paths like getting into the word of god Paths like entering his presence with thanksgiving. Paths like fellowship one to to another. Paths like gathering together in the house. Paths like inviting others. Let's walk down the proven highways of our faith and make sure that they don't become overrun. Make sure that they're clear for others to come down. A while back... Uh, so when Phil and I were dating, actually, when Phil and I were dating, he and his brother came over for a trip around the States, and then they came and they visited us, and then Phil was going to stay for a little bit longer, and my now brother-in-law, just, you know, Phil's brother at the time, was flying back to Australia. And my brother-in-law asked Phil to book his flight for him. This, (laughs) oh yeah. So Phil did what most, like what, 20-something-year-olds, you know, early in life, what you do, did, and he booked the absolute cheapest airfare that he could find, which seemed to make sense at the time. You know, you saved 80 bucks. 
And so my brother-in-law, now, now flying from Toledo to Sydney should take you about 18 to 20 hours flight, right? You generally fly from Detroit to LA, LA down to Sydney, okay? About 18 to 20 hours of flight. My poor brother-in-law flew from Detroit to Charlotte, Charlotte to Dallas, Dallas to Denver, Denver to LA, and finally, LA to Sydney. <laughs> he saved like 70 bucks, if I remember right. <laughs> he had been traveling for about 20 hours by the time he got to LA to finally take the long leg of his flight. I think it took him around 36 to 40 hours to get all the way back to Australia. He took a winding path to get back to Australia. And this is the thing about the winding path. Besides the fact that it wasted like an entire day of his life and wasted so much of his time that he will never get back. Besides that and the fact that really time is our most valuable commodity, he will never retrieve those days. That's why it means so much to us that you would be here today leaning into what God is doing because you'll never get this time back and it means something to God and it means something to us that you would invest it into his kingdom and that you would come out to hear what God has to say because time is something that we'll never retrieve again. Besides the fact that he lost around 20 hours worth of time, every one of those stops along the way is a fresh opportunity for mishap. It's a fresh opportunity to get off track. How many have ever traveled for work and you know every single stop is an opportunity for delay? Every single stop is an opportunity for reroute, where your bags can get lost, where the weather can go bad, where your flight got delayed and it caused you to miss the next flight. And when we are sending people on the winding paths, we are, we are creating greater opportunity for mishap, creating greater opportunity for them to get off track and to get delayed. When we allow ourselves to be sent on the winding paths, instead of saying, when we get into conversations that say things like, I don't need to be part of the church, I'm just spiritual. No, this is the well-proven path. This is the highway. This is the plan that God laid out for us. Well, I just worship in his presence and he speaks to me. That's why I don't need to get into his word. No, no, this is the well-proven path. It is the word that he laid out to us and said, this is my instruction for you. Bury it deep in your heart. Run on the highways. Run on the highways. Proverbs says it this way. Proverbs 3 and 6 says, In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. In all of your ways, submit to him. We bring our ways to him, and in bringing our ways to him, he sets us on the straight path. He walks us in his paths of righteousness and says, I'm going to keep you from getting distracted. I'm going to keep you from getting delayed. I'm going to put my angels as guards all around you and say, don't get distracted over here. Don't get distracted over there. Run on the highway from the place that you are into my presence and keep that path guarded. Who's praying for some straight paths? 
for some direct routes. Come on, if you want the expedited pathway into his presence, into his purpose today, let's get running on the highways that he has for us. Now, when we find Esther, Esther has a different way of using her influence than the way that Haman did. Haman used his influence for destruction. Haman used his influence for selfishness. Haman used his influence to take out others and create confusion and chaos in the city. Esther uses her influence differently, but she doesn't get there immediately. I think Esther lost a little bit of focus along the way. I think Esther got a little bit distracted with the first favor that God had given her in her life. Because when we find Esther, it seems that her focus is a little bit off sight. And how many know the power of focus? We say to our four-year-old all the time when we give him something to do, okay, buddy, stay focused, don't get distracted. Because a four-year-old can get distracted from here to there with like five different things on the way. And I like to talk about my four-year-old and I like to make fun of my four-year-old for getting distracted, but let's be honest, so can I. My husband came back in the room the other day and I was holding my phone and I was looking at it and I told him, I was getting ready to write something down that I need to do at work tomorrow and I have no idea what it was. Because I picked up my phone to write down a note, follow up with so-and-so about blah, blah, blah tomorrow. And when I opened my phone, I had two text messages from some friends and a new news article came up about Meghan and Harry. What is going on with that? Oh my gosh. And I got distracted in all of that. And then I opened my note because I said there was a note that I was going to write to myself. And I had no idea what it was. Because my focus had gotten distracted along the way. And the thing about focus is that focus in itself is neutral. I can focus my attention on the things that God has given me to focus my attention on. And I can zone in on people that God has sent into my life. I can zone in on the strategies that he's speaking to me. I can zone in on his purpose and his plans for my life. Or I can zone in on my own selfish desires. I can zone in on how much I'm missing coffee and sugar right now. I can zone in on all kinds of things that take me away from his presence. My focus is not the issue. The way that I've directed my focus is the issue. There's this video that I love. Some of you have probably seen it, and it talks about the power of our brains to focus in on something. And it shows a group of people. Some of them have on light-colored shirts, and some of them have on dark-colored shirts, and they're passing a basketball. And at the beginning, it says, count how many times the people in the light shirts touch the basketball. So you watch it intently, and you're counting. And what you don't see is that at the end, it says, okay, how many times? And then it asks you another question. It says, who saw the dancing gorilla in the middle of the people? And when you watch the video again, there is a gorilla that comes, someone in a black gorilla costume, that not a real gorilla, that comes into the middle of the circle, does a dance, and then walks back out of the circle. And 98% of people don't see the gorilla because your brain has the ability to focus in on what you tell it to. And when you tell it, I'm only going to focus in on the people in the lighter colored shirts and I'm going to count those, it starts filtering out all of the other stuff and all of the other colors that aren't relevant to the thing that it's focusing itself in on, which is a fun party trick. But I wonder if we could get our minds and our hearts to focus in on the things that God is speaking to us 
and on the things that God is calling us to. And we can start filtering out all of the other noise and all of the other distraction and saying, no, this is the thing that God has called me to. Let me just focus in on this and I can't listen to that right now and I can't talk to you about that right now and I can't watch that right now and I can't be in that group right now because God is calling me to focus in on something else in my life right now and run down those highways with intense focus. But Esther seems to have lost her focus. Let's pick it up. Esther 4.3 is where we ended. It says, And in every province, wherever the king's command and decree had reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them in sackcloth and ashes. So I want to remind you that when this edict went out, it went out by, by messenger, not like by text messenger, by people messenger. Someone had to physically take this message to all of the provinces, which means it took more than 10 seconds to get there. It probably took a couple days to get there. And the message has reached the other provinces and people have begun to mourn in the other provinces. But when Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was greatly distressed at seeing Mordecai, her uncle, and she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth. Have you ever been in the midst of a hard thing, in the midst of a difficult season, in the midst of a valley period in your life, and have someone that just wants to look over it and dismiss it and tell you, why don't you just go ahead and put on something else and not take the time to find out what's really going on in your situation? Have you ever been the person that looked over someone else's situation and didn't take the time to sit down and say, why are you dressed in sackcloth? Why are you in mourning? Why are, is this such a difficult season for you? Why are you lashing out when that's out of character for you? And ask the question and lean into the moment, but instead just try and throw something over it. Here, just put on a pretty suit and act like it's going okay, Mordecai. That's essentially what Esther says to him. But, Esther, but, uh, but Haman refused, and he would not receive them. Then Esther called to Hathach, one of, her, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to her, one of her servants, and she ordered him to go to Mordecai and learn what this was and why it was. She caught up. Now she's going to find out, okay, what's, go, what's going on? But this is what I want to point out to us. Esther doesn't know. All of her people have been ordered to death from a message that came out of the house that she lives in. And it has reached the far provinces. And she has no idea what's going on. She has become so lost in the favor, in the palace, in the yes answer that God gave her when he placed her in that position that she has lost connection with the people that God brought her out of. Esther thinks that she is no longer Jenny from the block and she doesn't need to pay attention to what's going on with her people. And she doesn't know that they are in deep mourning because all of them are scheduled to be annihilated by the end of the year. And there are things that God has answered in our lives, things that God has given us, favors and goodness and blessings that he has bestowed on us, that he has poured out, times he has given us yeses to prayers and to answers and put us in positions. And the question for you today is, have you become so lost in that thing, so lost in that place, 
So gleeful in the last yes that God gave you that you are missing the influence that he has given you with it. He promoted you to a position at work and you think it's all about your new package. He gave you a yes on the neighborhood that you want to be in. He gave you the baby and the children that you asked for and the husband and the family that you asked for. He gave you the degree and the yes to the university that you wanted to be in. Your business took off like you asked for him to do with it. And everything is swimming and everything is working. And like Esther, you're just so lost in the wonder of being in the thing that God gave you that you've lost the connection of the reason and the purpose that he brought you to that place. Esther is hanging out in the palace with her servants, with her women, with her oils and her fragrances. She's just chilling. And meanwhile, the people that God has called her out of are in chaos and confusion and deep mourning because they have been sentenced to death. Okay, let's not get too far removed from it. People who have not yet accepted the salvation that Christ has offered them are living their lives and have not and are sentenced to death because they have not yet said yes to life with Jesus. And are we so lost in the prosperity that he's given us? Are we so lost in the blessings that he's given us? We're so busy taking care of the last yes that he gave us that we have become consumed with thinking that's the purpose that he gave it to us for. He gave you that yes for a reason. He gave you that yes to run after someone else. He gave you that yes for influence. He gave you that yes to say, who can I touch from this place? What neighbors are in this new neighborhood that he's brought me to? Who can I reach out to? How can I change the culture of this, of this workplace now that I'm here? How can I reach into someone else's life now that I'm on this campus? What can I do with the last yes that he gave me? Let's not become like Esther and be so lost in the last place that he gave us that we lose our influence, that we become distracted and that we no longer see or hear what he's saying to us. So Esther finds out what's going on and then we see this exchange via her messenger as Esther gets caught up. And I have to wonder if Esther totally hadn't heard what was going on with her people or if she was just so lost in what was happening that, that she heard it and she scrolled by it and she saw, and so she dropped a heart in the comment on that page and then she kept scrolling thinking that just throwing a placating prayer out at somebody was enough when God had asked her to be the answer to the situation. When God had asked her and positioned her to be the very solution that he wanted, them, that he wanted for his people. And this exchange goes back and forth and Mordecai is pleading with her. Her uncle is pleading with her through her messenger and saying, won't you go to the king and use your influence to help save your people? And at first, Esther doesn't want to have anything to do with it. She basically says to him, that's going to mess up what I have going on here. That could get me in trouble. It could get me killed. And Mordecai's like, I'm going to be killed. That can mess up the whole situation. They don't even actually know that I'm connected with you. So I'm pretty safe here in my castle. I'm pretty safe here inside the favor that God has given me. 
and it seems risky and it seems dangerous for me to step outside of that thing. Seems risky and it seems dangerous for me to start identifying with where I came from. It seems like it might mess up what I have going on if I tell people that I used to be a drug addict too to help get other people out of being a drug addict. It seems like my neighbors might not respect me in the way that I like for them to if I tell them that, that we had marriage issues too early on and, and God helped us walk through it. It might mess up the picture that we've created for them. It might mess up my situation if I tell you that the first two businesses that I started actually failed and, and God put his hand on this one because I partnered with him in this one and that's why this one took off. But right now you think it's because of my wisdom and because of my goodness and because of my strategy. The truth is it's because God put his hand on it. But I don't want to tell you about my first two failures because I don't want to connect with where I came from. I just want you to look at my picture right now. And Esther didn't want to identify with where she came from because where she was right now was looking pretty good. And Mordecai hits her with Esther 4 and 14. And he says, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. There are more than one way to die. You can die because you've died naturally or you can die because you have gotten so outside of the purpose and the plan of God for your life that your living is not living anymore. And if God placed Esther in that place for that purpose, you begin to perish when you are outside of the purpose that he has for her. And who knows whether or not you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows if God didn't bring you here right for this reason. God brought you to this place right for this reason. And so Esther hears what Mordecai is saying. And she goes and she seeks after deliverance for her people. She goes and she sees the king. She hosts him in a feast, she and, he and Haman. And then she hosts a second feast. And then she reveals Haman's plot to the king. And she reveals who she is. And the king overturns it. And everything is back in order as it should be. It's actually a reversal. Because Haman and his people are annihilated instead. And Mordecai is promoted to be the right hand to the king. Because Esther used her influence for the thing that God had purposed her to. Because Esther used her influence, not for her own selfish reasons. She came out of herself. She eventually says, if I perish, then I perish. But if this is what God has for me, and it echoes to me the words of the three Hebrews boys in Daniel when they say, God can save us, but if he doesn't, we're still not gonna do that. I'm still not going to get outside of what God's plan and purpose for my life is. I'm still not going to go on a winding path because I'm afraid of what might happen. No, I'm going to stand in faith. I'm going to stand in the confidence and the assurance of his love and his goodness for me. And I am going to go after the thing that I know that God has purposed for us. And so I want you to ask yourself today, what is the thing that God is asking you to do with the favor that he has given you? What is the thing that God is asking of us in this season to focus ourselves on? 
to give our attention to. You know, the reason I love doing 21 days of prayer and fasting is that it's long enough that it starts to adjust our habits. There are great things that come out of doing a three-day fast and a five-day fast, and you should practice it throughout your year. But there's something about committing to 21 days that by the time I get to 20, the end of 21 days, I say, you know what? It's become my rhythm now. That when I wake up in the morning, I turn on worship music before I turn on news or anything else. And you know what? I'm going to stick to that habit. There might be some other things I'm going to bring back in my life, but I'm going to stick to the habit of praying with my spouse before we go to bed at night. We started doing that during fasting. And you know what? That's brought us closer. We're going to add that habit back into our life. What is our focus going to be on? What are we going to give our attention to? Because you can give your attention to every distraction in this world, or you can give your attention to the plans and the purposes of God and in pursuing his presence and in pursuing his people. And we're going to ask, who is God waiting to reach through my influence? Who is on the other side of my yes? Who is God waiting for? to reach through my influence. All of us have been placed in a position of influence. There is someone that you can reach in your life, someone who is watching you, someone who is waiting to see how you'll respond. Who is God waiting to reach through your influence? And what am I afraid of losing if I commit to this way? What is it that I'm afraid that God will, or that will be out of my life if I say yes to what God is asking of me? What am I afraid of losing? And this is the thing that I wanna remind you of. If God has given it to you, no one can take it away from you. No one. God put Esther in that seat. So no one could take her out of it. It was his favor and his goodness on her life that placed her in that position. I want, to, I want you to invite you to stand with me right now. And all across this room, we're just gonna pray that God begin to speak to us his focus, his attention the plans that he has, the people that he has for us, that over our days of prayer and fasting, our hearts would run down his proven highways. But there's something else interesting about the story. I need you to focus on me. You have to do a little bit of Bible history to understand it, which is that Haman, at the beginning of the book of Esther, it tells us that Haman is of the house of Agag. He was a descendant of King Agag, Agag, from the Amalekites. And Mordecai is a descendant of the Benjamites. Now Saul, King Saul, was a Benjamite, which means Saul and Mordecai are relations. And Haman and Agag are relations. And if you look back in 1 Samuel 15, if you write it down and look at it in your study this, this, this week, you will see that in 1 Samuel 15, God said to Saul when they were uh, approaching and battling the Amalekites, I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites. I want you to take out every single one of them and don't take any of their plunder for yourself. This is an offering to me. But Saul didn't listen completely. He killed most of them. 
and he spared King Agag, and he took some of the plunder for himself. And so years later, generations later down the line, we see the same battle incurring again that God said was supposed to be destroyed generations beforehand. We see the descendant of King Agag in Haman and the descendant of King Saul in Mordecai at battle once again. And what I want you to hear before you go today is that there are blessings in your life that are from seeds that you have not sown. They are the prayers of someone else that have come up as a blessing on your life. What we stand in here is a seed in our life that others have sown and have built. But there are also battles in your life that are battles that someone else was supposed to take care of generations beforehand. And you're facing it today and you're dealing with it today. And the question is whether or not you're going to be the one to draw the line in the sand and say, I can stand up. Perhaps I was placed here for such a time as this. Because if it's not you, it reminds us of what he says to Esther. If it wasn't Saul back when it was supposed to be Saul, then it's gonna be Esther right here. And if Esther doesn't stand up, God will raise up another. If you don't stand up on behalf of your family line, on behalf of your generation, on behalf of whatever is attacking itself, God will raise up another. But I believe that you are the generation shaker. I believe that you're the chain breaker for your family. I believe that you are the one who says, God, we are committing our way to you. And whatever this thing is that keeps showing up in our family line, whatever this thing is that keeps tormenting, that keeps attacking, that keeps trying to draw us backwards, God wants to declare over your life today that you are the chain breaker, that you are more than able. Give Him your focus. Give Him your attention. Ask who is on the other side of my influence, God. What answer is coming on the other side of my yes? And run after the proven highways. Run after the paths that He has laid before you. Run after his plans and his purposes. Don't get distracted on the way. Focus your attention with all of your heart, with all of your longing, with all that he has for you and see what God will do in your life. Amen. I hope that message meant something to you and that it means something in your days to come. Yeah, if this message has blessed you and you want to sow into the ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can do so from wherever you are today. Simply jump on our website at cornerstone.church and you can find the link there so that you can give in whatever way is most convenient to you. And we'll see you back here next time.